We're gonna uh, almost finish the book of James tonight, but not quite. I think I can squeeze one more out of it. But tonight we're going to talk about patience, endurance for Christ. Patience, endurance for Christ. Uh, let's pray together one more time before we get started. Thank you, Lord, now for this opportunity to explore your word, Father. Thank you for your servant, James, Lord, and his encouragement and exhortations toward us. And I pray, Lord, as he has spoken, as you have spoken through him, O oh God, that we might not be hearers only, but doers of the word. That we might not, O oh God, just say we have faith, but that we would show our faith by our works. And I pray that that would be manifested in our patient endurance in suffering for you. You, Lord Jesus, said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So God, teach us, Lord, not to suffer as the world suffers, but to suffer as those who have hope. We love you and praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5. So, many point to the existence of suffering and pain as an argument against the existence of God. But the Bible speaks actually a great deal about suffering and loss. It says it's a result of sin. Uh, sin entered into the world and through sin came death. And Paul says all died because all sinned. And so suffering and loss and pain, the Bible says, is the result of sin. And God is working in Christ to restore the world back to the way it was meant to be. We as Christians have to learn what it means to suffer and suffer well in light of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is something that we must think about and think about the scriptural teaching on it carefully and clearly because a lot of people have a very superficial view of Christianity and then when their suffering in their life comes, they fall away because they haven't understood what the Bible actually teaches about it. Jesus himself said that this would happen, that there would be seed that would fall among the thorns. They would be choked by the cares and the worries of this world and become unfruitful. There are preachers today, most of them on television, who tell you that if you follow Jesus and give them $1,000, everything will be well with you. And God will bless you and make you prosperous. But that gospel has no answers when you receive a cancer diagnosis. And that gospel receives no, gives you no answers when you lose a child. And that gospel, that false gospel, gives you no answers when tragedy strikes. I talked to a man just within the past week who in a season of great pain turned from the Lord and to this day he can't let go of it. 
How will we handle it when we suffer? And especially as James talks about tonight, not just suffering in general, although it, it relate, it's, it's uh, relevant, but how do we suffer when others do us wrong? That's what I want to talk about this evening from James chapter 5. And so if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. (coughs) Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Word of God, you may be seated. <clears throat> I want to see three truths from our passage tonight. And it, they're this. Number one, Christ's return powers our patience. Number two, Christ's judgment purifies our patience. And number three, Christ's blessing rewards our patience. Again, Christ's Return powers our patience. Christ's judgment purifies our patience. And Christ's blessing rewards our patience. So number one, Christ's return powers our patience. We see this in verses 7 and (coughs) 8. James says, Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So, as we talked about last week, this passage comes on the heels of the the text that we discussed last time of his rebuke against the wicked and oppressive wealthy who's oppressing the poor. And in verse 7 there it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. So clearly he sees... <clears throat> chapter 7, or verse 7 there, he, he clearly sees that he's connecting uh, the former passage with the, with, the, with the latter passage with the former. That is, he's encouraging them to stand firm in the, in the face of suffering at the hands of others. <coughs> and he tells them to be patient. So how, how are we to respond to wrongs committed to us against others? How are we to respond to wicked wickedness and to oppression? James tells us right here in this passage. He says to be patient. That's the answer. That's the Christian response to suffering and to pain. Even suffering and pain inflicted on us by others is what? It's patience. It's waiting to the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> He likens this to a farmer 
He says, so then Israel, the farmers, depended, like all farmers do, they, they depended upon the rain, especially rains that became that came in, in, in early spring and then in fall, the early and the late rains. That's, that's the, it's the rainy season over there. He says, the farmer, the farmer has no power. <coughs> the farmer has no power to make the rain come. He just has to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord that at his appointed time, he sends the rain. And in the same way, he says, when we're suffering, and especially at the hands of others, we're to wait. Wait for what? <coughs> Sorry. Wait, he says, for the Lord. <clears throat> wait for the coming of the Lord. And so now we have to think about this connection here. Okay? What's the connection between <clears throat> uh, enduring suffering for Christ Enduring suffering for Christ and the coming of the Lord. That is, what is it about Christ's return that is going to alleviate our suffering? Alleviate our pain. Especially at the hands of others. Well, <clears throat> the Bible is actually pretty clear about that. The connection is this, is that when Christ comes, Christ is going to punish evil. Christ is going to judge the wicked and those who hurt us and to oppress us. Remember, in connection with the previous passage that we talked about last week, he told the, the oppressive wealthy to weep and howl for the miseries that were coming upon them. <coughs> and he used that language. Remember, he said that they were fattening themselves for what? For the day of slaughter. That is that... <clears throat> By abusing their wealth and by abusing others and by not helping others with, with what God had given them. They were fattening themselves for a specific day. For a time and a place when their wickedness will be revealed. Remember Jesus said that there will be a day when what is done is secret is proclaimed. From the housetops. Right? <clears throat> and so, and so... Uh, the, the, the Old Testament, and we see here the New Testament teaches <clears throat> that, that, <laughs> that there is a very fine line, if there's even a line at all, in fact there probably isn't, between the deliverance of God's people and the judgment of God's enemies. In fact, it, it actually makes sense because they're, they're, I mean, they're the same. If you are suffering at the hand of others, then how are you saved from them? You are saved when they are judged. When God comes to judge them. In other words, <clears throat> in the large biblical storyline of things, the judgment of God's enemies is the salvation of God's people. We don't talk about like, we don't talk like this very often, but I mean just you just read the Bible, read the book of Revelation. Read what happens to Babylon, which represents uh, the world the world the sinful world system. Of greed and lust and, and pride and arrogance and sexual morality. She's thrown down, the Bible says. She's judged. And you say, well, you know, that seems a little vindictive, doesn't it, Pastor? That's a little Old Testament, isn't it? What about what Jesus taught about loving, <coughs> loving our enemies? <clears throat> well, I believe the answer, the solution is pretty simple. 
It's precisely because God is going to judge the wicked that we can actually, that we can love our enemies. Let me say that again. It's precisely because God is going to judge the wicked that we can love our enemies. Think about it. If all the evil in the world was not going to be punished, if all the Hitlers in the world, the Stalins, the Pol Pots, the rapists, the child abusers, if all, if, no, if nothing was going to happen to them, if God was not going to render any justice to them. Thanks, Miss Martha. I'm going to get over this one day. <clears throat> but think about it. If God was not going to punish the wicked, then I can tell you what I would do. I would deal with it myself. They're not going to get away with it. I'm not going to let them get away with it. I'm not going to let someone who hurts me and my family get away with it. If when they die, nothing happens to them. If there will be no just ultimate justice in the world. How can I love my, how can I love enemies if there's no justice? But we, but it's precisely because God is going to give the wicked people in this world justice because he's, because God is going to judge sins. Guess what? I don't have to. Because God is going to give Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot and rapists and sexual child abusers justice on the last day. Because he's going to, then I don't have to. I'm free. And the Bible, the New Testament actually explicitly makes this connection in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so, for by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, I don't have, I, you see, the, the Bible says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Yes, there is a right and good justice that should be exerted on those who do evil. But I'm not the one ultimately to do that. Because I will do so sinfully. But guess what? God knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And he sees what everybody does and what everybody thinks, even in secret. And when they think nobody knows and nobody's seeing. And right when they think they're going to get away with it. They'll one day stand before him who saw all. And the Bible says he will render to each one according to his works. In Romans chapter 2, the Bible, Paul says that, that those who continue on in wickedness and in righteousness, he says that they are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath. No sin will go unpunished. And because God's going to deal with it, I don't have to. In fact, it actually frees me to love my enemies. I can love those... I can love those who hurt me. I can love those who serve me. I can turn the other cheek. We can, he says, if your enemy is hungry, you can feed him. There's no, there's no humanly possible way that you can do that unless what I'm saying is true. 
It doesn't make sense. It's impossible. It's humanly impossible to love your enemies unless what I'm saying is true. But because God's going to deal with it, I don't have to. And that means I'm free. I'm free to love. I'm free to serve. I'm free to entrust myself to God and do good to the just and the unjust alike, just like God does. Because I don't have to worry about working out all the wrongs in this world because God's going to do it on our behalf. You see, because of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ, we can love our enemies because in Jesus Christ, one of two things are going to happen. Either when we love our enemies because we're trusting God and we believe that we don't have to take vengeance and hold resentment and anger and bitterness because it's like drinking poison to hurt your enemies. Only a fool does it. And I don't have to be consumed with wrath and anger because I know God's going to deal with it. And so I can just entrust myself to God who sees and knows all and love and serve even those who hurt me. In Jesus Christ, one of two things is going to happen. Either my love for, yes, even those who, who, who hurt us will be used by God to soften the heart of that person so that they see their, their, their sin and their need of a savior and God will use it to actually bring the person who hurt us to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, that person's sin will have been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. That means God dealt with it on the cross and they'll be forgiven of our sin and they'll come, they'll become our brother in Christ. Praise God that that would happen. But if it doesn't happen, God will deal with it. He'll deal with it in a place called hell. No sin will go unpunished. It will either be dealt with on the cross of Christ or in the place of judgment called hell. No sin will go unpunished. But because of that, we're free. We're free to love our enemies, to wait, to wait. You see, people, we don't like to wait. We don't like to do that. We don't like to be wronged. Who likes to be wronged? We want to take vengeance. We want to take up arms. But James says, wait. Wait. Why? Because the Lord is coming. That's why. And so James commands us there in verse 8, you also be patient. He says, establish your hearts. What does that mean? <coughs> the verb there means to strengthen our hearts. The same verb is used in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says, when the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That is, he established himself. He strengthened his heart to go to Jerusalem. <coughs> that is, <coughs> that is this word, what it can mean is it means to turn resolutely in a certain direction. To turn resolutely in a certain direction. Jesus, when it came time for him to be taken up, it says... Taken up to the cross, taken up in the resurrection and ascension. When it came time for him to be taken up, it says he set his face to Jerusalem. What does it mean? It means nothing was going to turn him away from the purpose to which God has called him to. A purpose of what? 
of suffering, of pain, of agony, of loss. And what did Jesus do? He set his face toward that and says, that's, that's precisely where I'm going. And nothing's going to turn me away from that because it's God's purpose for me. <clears throat> and what James is saying is he says, in the same way, we must establish our hearts. That is, we must be surrendered and submitted to the wisdom of God and say that if this, if this is my lot at this present time, then, we're gonna, then I will accept it from God's kind hand. And I will set my face to look, to look. See, 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 Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and nothing was going to deter him from God's purpose. And so we too, in our, in our sufferings, we must set our faces toward the heavenly Jerusalem. Set our faces to the coming of Christ and be resolute in saying that we will not turn away from the purpose of the Lord if that is his purpose for us. And at times it is. At times suffering is God's purpose for us. But God, but we can endure and we can wait patiently. Why? Because Christ is coming. He's coming. Christ's return, number one, powers our patience. And, Christ, and number two, Christ's judgment purifies our patience. Christ's judgment purifies our patience. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, here, James, as he tends to do, strings together some exhortations that don't have a clear line of connection, okay? He, he says, be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. But then he says, don't grumble against one another. What's the connection there? Well, I think it's this. And it's quite obvious, actually, if you think about it. <laughs> when we're waiting in suffering and in pain, that's the precise time. When, we, when God is asking us to be patient about something in our lives is the precise season in our lives where we tend to lose patience with others. And even patience with God. You see, when we hurt and when we suffer, we face an incredible temptation to transfer that pain to other people around us. In fact, it takes a great, incredible amount of spiritual maturity and faith and trust and rest in Jesus Christ to take that pain and that fear and that worry and that anxiety and lay it and give it to Christ and leave it there so that you don't transfer it to other people and take it out on others. And that's the great temptation. And we know it's true. It happens all the time. So there is a connection that while we're in the midst of suffering, that we'll face the temptation to start infighting amongst ourselves, to start grumbling and complaining against one another. <clears throat> it, was, it was because Israel was in the wilderness and they were thirsty and they were hungry that they started griping and complaining amongst themselves and against God. 
And he's right. It's this hardship. It's a hardship often heart has a way of driving people apart. And it's so heartbreaking. You know, it's just it's not uncommon to hear stories, you know, um, where, uh, you know, a a couple loses a child and then shortly after they get divorced. Why? Because they don't know how to handle the pain and the loss. And they take it out on one another. And loss leads to greater loss and pain leads to greater pain. Because we, because we can't take it, because we, we haven't learned to take it to Christ and trust and wait and be patient. Let's be found faithful as we wait to the Lord. Don't you know that the devil, at the precise moment in the midst of suffering and loss and pain, at the precise moment when we need each other the most is the moment that he's going to seek to drive us apart? Don't you know that? And so if we let hurt and wounds fester among ourselves and divide among ourselves, then we, we cut ourselves off from life at the very moment when we need it the most. We cut ourselves off from the ministry of others at the very moment when we need them the most. And James says that if we grumble... And don't love one another in our patient waiting. He says, then we too will be judged. That's what it says. So he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That is, if we are patiently waiting for God, for Christ to come and right the wrongs of this world. And yet we... Allow those same wrongs to make us grumble and fight and complain against one another. Then we ourselves will will find ourselves under the same judgment that we're waiting for Christ to deliver us from. He's standing at the door, James says. (coughs) So we can't give up. We can't give up and give in to silly arguments and frustrations and self-pity over things that a billion years from now won't even matter. But we must be patient and wait on the Lord. He's standing at the door. He's standing at the door. He's coming soon. Don't you want to be found faithful when he comes? The author of Hebrews said this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's a command. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's he saying? He's saying that Jesus is coming. The time is short. So don't don't neglect each other. Your ministry to one another. Work. To stir one another up to love and good works. 
That's the ministry that we're called to. Right? So, as a pastor, when I am exhorting us to pursue Christ and to do good for other people and to love one another and to go deep with God in His Word through Bible study and prayer, what is that? All that is is an attempt to be obedient to this command, the command that we all have to do what? To stir one another up to love and good works. What does it mean? It means if we're going to love others and work for God like we ought to, then we need other people encouraging us to do that. And each of us bears that responsibility to, to lean into the lives of other people and to, and to help us, you know, to ask you know, to ask me, Chad, how are you loving people? How are you serving people? How can I encourage you and help you? How can I stir you up to love and good works? And we must do that for each other. Stir one another up. Why? And not neglecting to meet together, he says, as is the habit of some. Neglecting church attendance has been going on a long time. 2,000 years. He says, don't do that. As is the habit of some, why? Because we need the encouragement of one another. And he says, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The time is short, folks. We must be ready. Jesus told all these parables about, about these people, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the masters and the servants, all these parables about what? About how people are just going on, just going on. And then all of a sudden he returned and they weren't ready. Would that we be ready because the day is drawing near. And so what do we see? We see that Christ's return and the expectation of God's just retribution against sin. It purifies us. It purifies us. That is, we're not, as we eagerly expect the weight of Christ, it should purify our waiting. We should wait with holiness with a love, with an eager expectation. The fact that Jesus Christ could return before I finish this sermon should cause us to love one another more. The fact that Jesus Christ could return before we wake up for work the next evening should change the way we speak to our spouse and our kids this evening. It should purify our waiting and besides this, and all the more in our pain and our suffering, you see, there are things about God and things about ourselves that can only be learned through suffering. It's a strange verse, but it says that in Hebrews, it says that Christ was perfected through suffering. There, there are things that can only be gained by suffering. And you see, of a lot of people in their suffering, they become bitter angry, resentful, cold people. But what, is, what has happened? It means they've wasted their suffering. It means all the suffering that it happens, even though it may be over for, the, over for now, it may have happened in the past, but guess what? It still controls them. They haven't escaped from its grip. God intends to teach us through pain, to teach us through loss, to, to soften our hearts and not harden them. But if we harden ourselves in the loss and in the pain, guess what? We've wasted the suffering. 
It has produced the exact opposite effect that God intended for it to have in our lives. And the only people that it hurts is not those who we feel have wounded us, but ourselves. And not only ourselves, but the ones that love us. I talked to a man recently who's experienced that just very angry and bitter. And he felt like the church let him down at his time of greatest need. And maybe they did. I don't know. But guess what? Over, over a decade ago, it still controls him. Consumes him. Can't let it go. The only people it hurts is himself, his family. Because he's hard and cold person for Peter says this in first Peter 1 he says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Look at that. You rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the fact that you have hoped in Christ in the midst of your suffering will make you shine like gold when Christ returns. And it will be a brilliance and a glory and a splendor that will redound to Christ's glory as coming. So we see that Christ's return powers our patience. Christ's judgment purifies our patience. And number three, Christ's blessing rewards our patience. Christ's blessing rewards our patience. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet's who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So as a final encouragement to us in our sufferings in this life, he points us to the sufferings of the prophets in the past. You know, we think of Isaiah, who tradition says was sawn in two for his proclamation of the word of God. We think of Jeremiah, who was thrown into a pit and left for dead, and who later was dragged off into Egypt against his will, even though he told them that God had spoken that they should not return to Egypt. We think of Peter and John, who were arrested and after they were arrested and they were released, it says that they praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And we think of the people, we think of those, those faithful saints of the past. And what do we do? We think we call them blessed, don't we? We talk about them. We remember the missionaries and their sacrifices for Christ. And we think back upon them and we call them blessed. Jim Elliott, who, did, who hardly even had an opportunity to proclaim Christ for when he landed on the shore with the Aka Indians, him and the others with him were immediately killed. But we don't, Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And we count Jim Elliot blessed. We count him blessed even though he suffered loss for the sake of Christ. And we know that they're blessed because Jesus said that they're blessed. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We count them blessed and James is encouraging us to remember them. Why? Because clearly James is saying this. He says because if these people in the past were considered blessed for their faithful, patient endurance in suffering, then will we not also be counted blessed if we do the same Will not past generations look upon us and say, look how they endured under suffering, not losing hope and not growing weary and not losing faith. Look at the members of Cottondale Baptist Church when they suffered loss. And yet they trusted and hoped in God in the midst of it all. And they will call us blessed. And that's what James is saying. And he points us to the story of Job. He points us to the story of Job. And for the sake of time, I won't, I won't read that passage. But he says, he says remember Job. In particular there in, in verse um, 12 there, he says, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, how is the Lord, how do we see the purpose of, of the Lord, his compassion, his mercy, and the servant of Job. Will you remember? At the very end of the book of Job, it says he restored his fortunes. He gave him twice as much as he had, even though he had lost every dime that he had. He lost all of his children in a single day and got terribly sick with these painful boils, and yet God restored them all and made him twice as wealthy as was before and gave him 10 children. And it said, Job died an old man and full of days. That is, God does have a purpose for us. That's what the passage in Peter said, that we have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, waiting for us in heaven. So that if we patiently endure suffering now, God will, will indeed restore us and re- re- give us more than we could possibly fathom. In the age to come. And that's what Jesus said in Mark 10. He says, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. 
<clears throat> I mentioned our brother. And we're recording this, so I can't give a lot of great detail. But he had to go home because his family got attacked. Imagine, imagine returning home after you've been away from home and you're, you're flying on a plane going back to your home knowing that just days before people had knocked on your door wanting to kill you. What do you do? He's home. And this is what he told my friend before he went back. He said, God will not leave us alone. We are still to share. No turning back, even unto death. You see, what is it? Will we let a little thing like the threat of death keep us from proclaiming Christ and receiving our eternal reward in heaven? He's standing at the door. He's standing at the door. You gotta die some way. Might as well die for Jesus. Pray for this brother. Pray for him. Put himself, put yourself in his shoes, his wife, and, and other family members, they're too afraid. They left. They're too afraid. But he's staying. Pray for this brother. Pray about how maybe you can support him. Um, we can give through the Dodge County Baptist Association. Mike Grenade, we can get it to the right place. The reason why God is attacking him, why? Because tens of thousands are coming to faith through him. And guess what? They don't have Bibles. We can give. Maybe in, in the, maybe in the coming weeks, he'll take up a, a love offering for him to give, to put Bibles in the hands of these people who are professing faith in, his, in this through this brother, but of course the devil is going to, to, to attack the hardest right at the place where we're fighting for him. So we, you can't let opposition keep us from doing God's work because it's, it's the precise place where God is working the most where the devil's going to fight the hardest. But if we endure patiently for the sake of Christ, Then when, the, then when Christ, who is standing at the door, comes, we'll be ready. And we won't be ashamed. And we'll have no regrets. And we'll rejoice. Because he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And so I pray this evening that everyone has this hope in Christ, in this joy, and that we will remain firm and steadfast in the face of suffering. Why? Because he's at the door. He's at the door. He's coming. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Wait patiently for him as the farmer waits for the rains. And he'll come. At the right time, he'll come and deliver us. Let's pray. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for the